How's everybody doing? All right. I love the energy of the announcement about karaoke. That was fun. Um, that's going to be a fun time. All right, we're going to go to scripture. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series studying the book of Romans, and we're going to be picking up where we left off. And we're going to be focusing today on two verses in Romans chapter 1, arguably two of the most essential verses to understand not only Romans, but also the essence of what Jesus has done. So these are big verses. Let's go to scripture. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to gather, to worship together, to study your word, to do all of these things under the lordship of your name. And we ask that you would be with us, speak to us, give us open ears and receptive hearts. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Reveal him to each and every one of us in a fresh and new way. And we thank you, Father, for this time in your presence. Lord, help us to bask in your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. If you have not been with us or um, haven't listened in, I encourage you to do so so you could hear the context of what we've covered thus far and where we're heading. Chapter 1 of Romans is incredibly dense. In fact, all of Romans is dense. We've mentioned this before. It's because if you understand this book, you end up understanding pretty much all of the Bible um, because it's so sweeping. Some folks have called this if there was a magnum opus of Paul's writings, this is it. Um, this is arguably one of the greatest contributions um, to Christianity, to our faith, to Western civilization, to culture. Uh, there's so much that Romans speaks about. Um, and so I encourage you to look, listen to the first two sermons in this series. And if you're familiar with the book of Romans, there are 16 chapters. And just to warn you, um, or uh, alleviate you, you're like, man, we are never going to hear any other book of the Bible because um, this is going to take forever. We might actually chop this up into two years um, because there's other series that we've planned, other things that feel like our church needs to process and dive into. Um, and so we won't be here for uh, just uh, uninterrupted. There will be some moments where we'll pause. But in light of how much ground we have to cover, you might be wondering, why only two verses today? Come on, Chris. Um, you know, you're not managing your time right. Um, but here's why. As I already mentioned, if we unpack these two verses, we will come away with some of the clearest, profound statements about who Jesus is and what he's done. And one of the reasons we tackled this series right after Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday and Holy Week is because we need to go beyond just understanding these significant events in our faith, these significant moments. And we kind of have to pull the curtain back and see 
What exactly was accomplished? What was done? Romans gives us that perspective. And what strikes me about these verses, the very beginning, Paul says something that's kind of odd. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, the word gospel, we've talked about, it means good news. So why would he have to, like, let us know? Hey, just in case you're wondering, I'm not ashamed of the good news. There's a lot of things a person could be ashamed of. But why does he have to make it known that he's not ashamed of the good news? What's shameful about the good news? That's the question that kind of emerges. What could possibly be shameful of the good news of Jesus? You know, there was this TV show. I I did not catch the name, unfortunately. Sometimes uh, when something comes on, I'll just like zone out for a bit. And it's like people talking, actors, story, don't know the show. So I'm sorry. I don't know what show it was. But there was a character on the show that apparently had some big surgery, and he came back to work too early. He should have stayed home, but he wanted to get back to the office, and it happened to be a police precinct, the office, that he worked at. And he comes back, and he's still on this high-dosage pain meds. And so the whole episode is all the other characters avoiding him because they know This day, they're going to experience a level of honesty that they don't want to experience. You ever seen people when they come off of like a surgery and they're still kind of loopy and and they'll say all these crazy things? So that's kind of the context. And so one character, he sees them and he just rips into them, but nonchalantly, non-emotive and just like, you know, you don't carry your weight on this team. I wish you worked harder. You have more potential, you know, work on it. And he just walks away and this person's like, whoa, that was scathing. There was another character on the show that she knew he loved her and was avoiding telling her her feelings. So the whole episode, she's like, I have to avoid him because if I don't, he's going to you know, confess his, his dying love for me and then it's going to get awkward. And so the whole episode, people are avoiding this character because they know that he's going to say some really truthful things that may be difficult for them to process. If you get the sense of that, then we kind of get the sense of what Paul was alluding to. He's saying, I would need you to know I'm not ashamed of the gospel, even though the gospel says some things that people want to avoid hearing. Some things that are offensive. Some things that rub people the wrong way. Some things that make us very resistant And we just put up our our arm and say, no, you can't go there. Because the gospel has that effect, because it creates those kind of reactions, Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not cowering from it. I'm not denying it. I'm not sugarcoating it. I'm not lessening it. I am boldly proclaiming it, even though it has that capacity to offend us. I think you and I, as followers of Jesus, and if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here, because I I think it's it's important for all of us to understand at the same time that when we talk about the good news of Jesus, this good news also has some bad news in it. And in order for you to really believe and see the beauty of the glorious nature of the good news, you have to wrestle with some of the bad news. And the bad news in it ends up 
offending people. Why that's important for us who follow Jesus in this room, it's important for us to be very clear that the faith that we profess, the one that we follow, in this world will never be fully received. Jesus will never be fully received. He'll be received often to a certain point. It's like, man, I, I love his teaching. I love his moral example. But this Messiah thing, I don't know. I need a savior? I don't know. I'm sinful and I needed him to save me? I don't know. There's certain aspects of who Jesus is that our culture finds incredibly offensive and will always find it offensive. And that might be a newsflash for us in a culture that says you and I should live in the pursuit of endless likes, where we are driven to be likable. And yet, there are many things in the gospel that are not likable. I love this quote. It's from one of my seminary professors. Uh, he's a New Testament scholar. And he summed up the gospel in this way. He says, because the gospel is God's gift of salvation, morally and conservative people are offended who count themselves better than immoral persons and therefore more worthy of God's love. Because the gospel says that believers share in both Christ's suffering and glory, those who want eternal life and a comfortable life here and now are offended. Because the gospel declares Christ's lordship over those he redeems, people who idolize their autonomy are offended. If your response to the gospel has been tepid or if you don't understand why people respond so extremely to the gospel, I invite you to ask whether you have understood the gospel message. It's Dr. Paul John written a fantastic commentary on Romans and um, uh, his series on Romans very much uh, has influenced this series. Um, I love how he captures the multifaceted offendability of the gospel. It's, it's offensive to just everybody. It doesn't matter if you're morally conservative, conservative if, uh, if you want autonomy, the gospel is going to offend you. It, it doesn't matter where you're coming from. This good news is very offensive. And I'll be honest, at this point in my life, I've been preaching for a long time, I'm kind of just waiting to get canceled. I am. Like, it's just, I'm, I know it's going to happen one day. And it's not because I'm trying. I don't want to needlessly offend anybody. I love people. I actually care about people. But at the same time, the gospel offends me. And so I know at a certain moment, if we really wrestle with it, it's going to offend us. I, I try to wrap my mind around, like, how do I explain how the gospel offends us? And I found myself becoming like a modern-day Aesop. And so at this time in our sermon, I'm going to introduce you to Aesop's Fables with Christian Hernandez. Okay? Urban version. It was a cold winter morning. Midtown Manhattan, there was a homeless man. And he was thinking about what he was going to do that day to stay warm and also to eat. And out of nowhere, a limousine shows up. And they usher him into the limo. It looks like he's being abducted. But he's, it, before you can do anything, the limo takes off. Out of nowhere, 
he arrives at this penthouse apartment that has epic views of the whole city. He's ushered into a home that's just indescribable. I'll continue, Siri. And so <laughs> Siri's engaged. Siri wants to know where this is going. I got you, girl. And so um, he gets ushered into this apartment, and it's just unbelievable. Uh, as soon as he's walked in, he's given a shower, he's given fresh clothes, a haircut. He feels more human than he's felt in a long time. He's brought endless food, anything he wants and if that wasn't enough, he later on describes that the level of conversation he had with the host was unlike anything he's ever had. He said, I've never felt more welcomed, more loved, more seen in my entire lifetime. Even though this place was so posh, it didn't feel pretentious. And I felt at home. And in fact, the owner of this home tells this man and says, you're not just a visitor from here on out. This is your home. You're welcomed here anytime. Later on, he meets up with a friend, and he begins to tell his friend of this amazing story. He's like, yeah, I was wondering. I thought you got kidnapped. What happened? And he's beginning to tell him this, and his friend asks him a question. says, what's the most memorable thing about this life-changing day? Surely it has to be the food, the hospitality, the way they care for you. And all of a sudden, his countenance changes. And he gets angry, visibly angry. He says, you know what I'll never forget about this day? That when I walked in, they said I was welcome to all of this. They said it was home for me. But there was one door they said I couldn't touch. I couldn't open. I wasn't allowed in. Then he gets even angry. He says, could you imagine the audacity that they put limits on me? that they didn't let me do what I wanted to do at all moments. And if you could wrap your mind around the insanity of that kind of a moment, after all this generosity, all this hospitality, for someone to be vividly angry at having a limitation put on them, then you're kind of getting yourself closer to understanding how we get offended at the gospel, but we need to make notice, it's a selective offendability. Because it doesn't offend us that a holy God would love us despite our sin. It doesn't offend us that he would die for us to rescue us, lavishly pursue us, but it often offends us that this same God would tell us there are certain things that he commands us not to do. I often hear that when I talk to people who are not following Jesus, they say, how could, how could you expect me to follow this God when he tells me I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do that? And I'm like, that's not the only thing he's telling you. He's also saying, you're finally home. You're loved. You're welcome. All of this is yours. You have family now. But yet we selectively get offended. The gospel will do that. It will stir up this reaction to us. Yet, in that reaction, we often miss what it's powerfully telling us. Because look what Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul says one of the reasons he's not ashamed of the gospel 
is because this good news has the power to save us. Has the power to rescue us, to redeem us. Even though it's highly offensive, if you're someone that believes God should owe you something based on how good you are, the gospel's going to offend you. If you're someone who believes that God owes you a comfortable, peaceable life and you should experience no suffering, the gospel is going to offend you because it doesn't promise us that. Even though the gospel is offensive, Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of it because he has seen in his own life and in the lives of countless people, when people believe this good news, they experience God's power in their life. They're transformed. Dead people become alive when they believe this good news. Broken people are made whole when they believe this good news. And so Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of it. Even though it's offensive to all of us, I'm not ashamed of it because there is no other power in this world like the power of this good news. Because it is the power of God to save us. There's so many ways to understand what it means for God to save us, and there's so many ways to misunderstand it. And so I want to be as clear, as simple as possible in a way that doesn't sacrifice the profundity of God's salvation, but also doesn't make it needlessly complicated. And why I feel the need to do that is because there are so many uh, messages out there that tell us, and I would argue mislead us, and tell us that God's salvation is experienced by us having a comfortable life. God saves you, and, and that means that he's always going to give you nothing but good times. That you walk with him, no suffering, no discomfort, no challenge. It's just going to be daisies and ice cream all the time. But that's actually not what the scriptures tell us. What it tells us is that Salvation, in its essence, is a restored relationship between us and God. But it's restoration, and here's the good news, the gospel. This relationship is restored not through any heavy lifting that you and I do. It's restored on his basis, through his work. So its restoration hangs not on your ability or mine to get it right, to keep it going, to be perfectly obedient. It doesn't hang on our consistency. It hangs on his finished, complete righteousness. This is the good news. You know, my older kids, 14-year-old uh, daughter, 11-year-old son, um, I was resistant for a long time to get them cell phones because I know those are dangerous things. Um, you have access to so much garbage, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I couldn't shake the fact that I wasn't comfortable when they would go on their soccer games or there was like a carpool and they were with someone else. I wanted them to be able to reach us. I wanted, I wanted to be able to reach them. So compromise was you can get it, but no social media, you know, because we actually want their brains to develop, um, <laughs> not become docile. And so, um, so we've been navigating through that. It's a, it's a challenge. Pray for parents these days. It's a heck of a time to raise kids. Um, but as a result of the two older ones having cell phones, I find myself and my wife 
we constantly have to say the same sentence. Is your cell phone charged? What's the battery life? As they're getting ready to leave the door, that's a critical piece of information. Because if they say, oh, it's great, 5%. No, you failed. You failed your assignment. You have one job, one job. You don't pay the bill. We pay it, one job. Keep it charged. Why? Because as long as it's charged, for us what that means is we can have uninterrupted connection. We can have communication no matter where they're at. You can think of the gospel of Jesus. The good news is that he's restored relationship with the Father that results in us having this uninterrupted communion. And here's the good news. It's never interrupted by your obedience or disobedience. In other words, it's not like God says, you know, you've been extra kind today. I saw you gave up that seat on the seven train. Oh, my gosh, there's no New, Nor no New Yorker like you. I'm going to be extra attentive. Pray whatever you want. This is your week. Or it's not like God says, you know, I saw how you, you that, that fake face you gave to your boss, and I know what you're thinking about them. I, I, you, you can fake it, but I know your true colors. This week, maybe 25% return on your prayers. Like, that's not, that's not how God has restored this relationship with him. It's restored. Here's the good, it's not restored on the basis of your spirituality or mine. It's restored on the basis of what Jesus has done. So if you're having a terrible season in life where you, you just can't get it right, the good news is you can always have communion with God, not because of anything you have done, but because of what Jesus has done. The gospel is such a powerfully leveling declaration. What God has done in Jesus, it's the most powerfully democratizing thing that's ever happened in history. Because by virtue of the fact that this relationship with God rests on Jesus and not on you, it means that the righteous and the unrighteous now have no advantage before God. We're all on the same footing. And so if you're feeling not that spiritual today and you're saying, God, I, I feel lousy, good news. It's not dependent on that. If you're feeling like, oh, I got this, God owes me, I'm really good, uh, watch out, Christian of the month, the good news of the gospel says, you can humble yourself, relax, it's not on you. Never was on you. He restores relationship. So for, for that, for, for us, it means that some of us will have great comforts in this life, some of us won't, but all of us can have a living relationship with Jesus because of the gospel. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says something else about the gospel that's really noteworthy. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you're wondering why is he isolating these two groups, Jew and Greek, it was the biggest demarcation or separation in culture at that time. It was the biggest way to separate people and he's saying, it's for everyone. That's, in essence, what he's saying. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. 
The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. How does it reveal it? How does God show his righteousness to us? And when he shows his righteousness, what do we end up seeing? What's, what captures our hearts when he reveals his righteousness through the gospel? The best way to really explain this is to go to another verse that gives us another like closer view into what Paul is getting at here. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19 to 21 says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, hear this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whew. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you wonder, how come these Christians celebrate this man hanging on a cross and resurrecting from a grave every year. Why do they gather and sing the songs that they sing and study the Bible? It's because there was something that happened in those moments that far surpasses what our human eyes can see. And what Paul tells us is that what happened on the cross is that our sins were carried by Christ, but simultaneously what happened is that his perfect record of righteousness was being credited to any who would believe. Did you know that at the cross, your spiritual credit score jumped? It's perfect now. You say, but I don't have a spiritual perfect record score. You don't, but his has been credited to you. When Jesus died for us, not only did our sins get borne by him, but he extends his righteousness. It's credited to those who believe. And so you and I, when it says that we could become the righteousness of God in him, we have to understand what God is saying. The good news of Jesus is that you and I not only could say thank you for carrying my sin, we also can say thank you for crediting your righteousness to me. So when you and I pray, we don't come before God with our spiritual credit history. We approach God with his son's perfect score. You know, if you've been here before, chances are you might have been here on a Sunday where I've shared my great dislike for Disney World. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I, I wish that wasn't the case. Some of you are like, oh, man, I like this guy until now. I get it. Um, for some, it's the most magical place on earth. For others, they view it as a capitalist death, track, death trap that seeks to kill introverts. And so um, <laughs> that's how I view it. I, it's just introvert death for me. Um, uh, we also go in July. And so Orlando in July is a bad idea. Um, and you say, why do you go in July? Here's why. My wife's uncle, who is the most generous, kind man, 
It's his birthday in July. And one of the ways he wants to celebrate his birthday is that he takes all of us to Disney World and he pays for everything. Park passes, transportation, flights, meals for about nine days. And now you know why I feel so bad that I hate it. The, this kind of generosity is amazing, but oh, I, the place just does something. Like, and I hit it for a good, we go every other year. And I hit it for a lot of years. At this point, my kids know. And so when we go down there, I'm like interrogated on a daily, dad, how come you don't like it? Don't, don't worry about it. Just don't, let's just get through it. But just in the future, when you talk to your therapist, remind him that I went, remind her that I came, that I didn't like it, but I showed up. I love you. Let that be proof. <laughs> First time we went, um, my wife's uncle says, hey, everything's on me. And I was very uncomfortable with this. And so, to be honest, I like yesed him. Oh, okay. And then what did I do that first day? I paid for everything. I'm like, I'm not going to, no, this is, this is too much already. And sure enough, he checked the receipts. <laughs> so he came to me and then he's like, you didn't use the band. Did you pay for everything? I was like, yeah. It's like, no, I mean it. I don't want you to pay for anything. It'll offend me. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and so now the next day, it was like, uh, uh, they give you this magic band, and it's like a credit card. And so now I'm like sheepishly paying for stuff, and I'm just like doing it. Uh, but the funny thing is, he never it was never transferred to my name, so they kept calling me Mr. Fawnen. And so it's just like, is everything satisfactory, Mr. Fawnen? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> By the end of the week, I became incredibly comfortable being Mr. Fawnen. And so, drinks <laughs> for you. You get lunch. You get lunch. It's, I got a wristband, y'all. It. There was something really amazing about like. Here I am, every time I went to pay, I had no doubt whether I would have enough. I knew it was covered, because I wasn't paying in my name. I knew whose name I was paying in. If you could imagine, the righteousness of Jesus is credited to you in such a way that when you pray now, you're not praying in your own name. You're praying in his name. When you pray in his name, the Father, it's, it's as if he hears Jesus' voice through yours. You pray, and he hears Jesus pray through you. When you pray in his name, it's because you're covered in his righteousness. And here's what else Paul says. If that isn't amazing, what Jesus has done, look at what he says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, says everything we just said. And the cherry on top is that the only thing you and I have to do to appropriate this, to apply this, is to simply believe. It doesn't say, 
that you have to obey your way into it. It doesn't say you have to earn your way into it, that you have to try harder to get into it. It doesn't say that it's good news for the consistent, but bad news for the inconsistent. It says it's good news for those who believe. All you and I have to do to experience the power of God that the gospel extends to us is to simply believe that God does love us this much, that his redemption does save us that much, that you and I could stop our self-salvation projects, that we don't have to try to do this anymore. It's been done for us. That you could rest into God's love by believing. I haven't been on a plane in a while, but I love flying. And there's this moment that just does something to me. When you get in the seat and you hear the pilot say, just relax. We're about to take off. Because at that moment, I'm reminded, I'm not flying this plane. It's not on me. I don't know about you. So many things in my life feel like it's on me. Like if I don't do it, it's going to fall apart. But at that moment when I'm flying, I'm like, oh, it's flight time? Come on, let's flap everybody. Like, that, that's not what's happening. You, I know there's nothing that I can do to ever make this work. The only thing I'm allowed to do, I'm told to do is relax, rest. Believing in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is one of the most transformative things for all of us because we get divine permission to rest. Stop trying to strive. Stop trying to earn. You don't have to do that. It's been done for you. In a world that tells you, you earn everything. You gotta deserve everything. If you don't work for it, you don't get it. Your only good is your productivity. The gospel says it's been done for you. You just have to believe. In that place of faith, God's power is extended to us, and we're saved. Restored relationship when we say, Jesus did this for me, not me. And we understand, oh, this is why I couldn't do this on my own. This is why he needed to die for me. In that place of faith, rest, comfort, Peace is possible. Could I invite us to stand as the worship team comes forward? And as we prepare to respond to God in song, in worship, in prayer, in confession, I want to encourage you over these next few moments, if you need prayer of any kind, anything that the message might have stirred for you, anything you came in today carrying in your soul, the words that were shared earlier, in these next few moments as we begin to worship, all you have to do is slip out of your seat, go to the back. The prayer team is in the back. They're waiting. They would love to pray with you regarding any of these things. And so with that in mind, could I invite us, could we just close our eyes just for a moment, just as a means to kind of center ourselves block out distractions
and let's bring ourselves before the presence of God. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, your good news is incredibly offensive to our attempts to earn our way into heaven, our attempts to get you to owe us something. The good news offends all of that. For those of us who want autonomy, the good news offends us because it says not only that you love us, but that you're also Lord. For those of us who think that we're good enough, the good news offends us. It reminds us none of us are good enough. We all need the salvation that you extend, Jesus. Lord, wherever we're at today, as we hear the good news, would you meet us? If we need to confess our unbelief, meet us there. If we find ourselves in a place where we yearn to believe more fully, meet us there. And God, if we've never handed over the keys of our life to you and said, be the Lord of my life, meet us there. Wherever we're at, we invite you to come. If you feel comfortable, could I invite you to raise your hands in the presence of God? This is a posture of surrender, a posture of receiving. Us telling our bodies, pay attention to the living God. He's our focus. And in this posture, let's worship, let's pray, let's confess, let's rejoice, let's turn to God at this time.